Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's been, you know, when a pop's a pop, let them be a pop. And there's some basic, you know, household manners. There's puppy obedience and what's expected to be, you know, I got to live with this dog. He has to do something. After that first year when the puppy's a puppy and after that NA test, now it's time to start working on real stuff. Healing wool training you know no not cutting the dog any slack it's a journey you go you the the best the best handlers and the best dogs understand that obedience is an everyday thing one thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures in order for that to happen we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Welcome back to another week at GDIY, everybody. Joe's actually in the studio this week in person. Joe, what's happening, buddy? Having a great day at Adair Family Farms. (laughs) It's been a while since you made it down here. Yeah, finally got to meet Raylan. Yeah. And had uh, the courtship between Caleb and Raylan begin. (laughs) Had a couple baby fight rounds, you know, nothing nothing special. (laughs) Yeah, we got um, had some smoked French toast, which was good. Traeger Grill, man. It's yeah. <laughs> Pam was like, hey, they're coming down for lunch. I'm like, well, all right. I don't know what I want to do for that. Just typed in brunch and and yeah, some little bougie French toast uh, casserole thing popped up. So yeah, did French toast on the cat on the Traeger. It was good, especially with a little bit of uh, ugly dog peach. <laughs> You've been holding out on me on that with that. Dude, people are listening to this and be like, what the heck are they eating? Trust me, I would prefer the brisket or the Boston butt myself, but you know, you gotta make do on uh last second deal. What do you have in the house and uh come up with something creative and fun to do that you haven't you haven't tried before. Especially when the wife's like, you know, the sweet tooth. Yeah, so. exactly. Sweet tooth. But uh yeah, man. Got a kind of a, a different little uh vibe going on right now we're recording on some new equipment you want to touch on that yeah because of uh our really because of our patreon patrons we were able to get uh something a little bit better for mobile recording so um i know uh you're going out this weekend to a bha event which is pretty cool and we'll be able to really test out this equipment that we're using now and hopefully get a lot more good um you know on-site podcasts um because you know we both talked about it over the phones 
good. You know, going through Zoom is good, but nothing beats, you know, face to face. So no. uh, because of your guys, uh, you know, supporting us every month, um, we're able to invest it back in the podcast. We're not getting rich on this. We're not. We're <laughs> no. not. We're not putting new tires on our trucks with podcast money. We're we're taking it and we're uh, investing back into it. So yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys will will notice a difference um, on some of our on site things because uh, we've had a lot of guests over the past two years and they have seen our um, on site <laughs> equipment and I br- I basically bring a, a studio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so this is just one little Zoom recorder and some uh, headphone mics. Uh, but yeah. Really appreciate you guys that you support. If you uh, don't support us already and want to give it, you know, go to over Patreon, gun dog it yourself, throw even a buck goes a long way. It does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, we're not even saying that we're buying beer. We're not even using no. money to buy beer or cigars or anything like that. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've been waiting and uh, got a couple good suggestions, got to try out a few different things and, and decided on this setup. So excited to get out there and actually do some in-person recording. And like you said, we have the, uh, have this little BHA event in North Carolina this upcoming weekend. And uh, so ho- hoping to uh, get a second and, and kind of pull the guys off at that event and, and talk to them because it's a dog training 101 event mm-hmm. if you guys hadn't heard about that go go check it out i know it's live now and they're taking reservations still uh for that and there's limited slots but you know you got scott who everybody who listens to us know who knows who scott is but you also got a couple other people involved from my uh, i think stephen faust jason miller of ogre outdoors and uh, mike nadusky with rgs and and also kind of the the nabda uh judge side of things so it's it's get you got a bunch of different little elements involved there but yeah yeah, i'm hoping to uh get a chance to test this this setup out in person out there with them but yeah again like joe was saying everything that the patreon members donate to us and and commit to us it's just going right back in the podcast and we're we're definitely not quitting our day jobs anytime soon so (laughs) who would have thought nick two years ago that uh i mean nick went and got got the stuff on his his own and we've got a couple other really cool things in the work that we we got a a little bit more equipment for and who would have thought nick being the tech tech gear nerd oh dude this this is by no means like me figuring out anything you still had to come down in person to show me how to use it all uh but yeah i mean it 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 was like you said going in person and people listening to this probably don't even care but it is like when we went in person like you said we pulled out a full studio everybody's like what the heck is that laptop and that huge sound deck and and then you know just Jacob with Southern Outdoorsman, you know, he he hooked us up at, at a uh, event recently where we were doing something in person and we couldn't get the entire mobile uh, studio that you send me yep. on the road with uh, working and he pulled this this setup out and I'm like, that's the way to do it. Okay, here we go. Uh, but yeah, so keep it coming. Uh, we, you know, we're, do, we, we're shooting to the moon, man. We got the rockets on our back and we're going to keep on going, keep on keeping on. But uh, Joe, what do we have this week? Because people didn't come here to listen to our, our you know, gear setup for uh, recording. You right. know, maybe if we're talking about gear setup for the truck or hunting or training dogs, they might listen to it. But they don't give a crap no. about <laughs> about us recording this. No, no, no. But we got a we got a recurring guest. Is it how many times is this? Is his third for third, sure? Yeah. Maybe fourth. Yeah, he's been on a few times, but uh, Pete Aplikowski. Up yeah. in Minnesota, he's been on a few times, and he's had a, a couple of the more popular episodes, especially the last one we did with his study to flush. I know a lot of people still write me in and say that they're listening to it for the third or fourth time. So he's a, he's a world of knowledge, and uh, you know we, we check in from time to time, and uh, we were kind of texting back and forth a week or two ago, and he said that this is a topic that that he likes to talk about, and he. Him being the president of his chapter up in Minnesota, and as large as it is, kind of has a, a good perspective on uh, really the type of test and goals for the people. You know, not everybody has to get involved in NAVDA to a certain extent to where everybody's going to that after the invitation, but maybe just the utility prep test gets you the hunting dog that the average person may need yep. or, or even want. So, you, you know, just because you get in NAMDA, don't feel like you have to go to the invitational and he kind of breaks down why and what kind of uh dog you might end up with, with the, after the uh, prep test and, and whether you should move on to utility or so on and so forth, but just kind of a different topic to where, Hey, maybe you don't need to have the goal of the invitational or go all the way 
maybe maybe you know having realistic goals with your lifestyle and your dog is is better for you in the long run yeah a little bit barrier to entry of of don't feel like you i mean if you haven't been to a a navda training day don't feel like you you have to have these crazy big goals it could be as simple as just wanting wanting a good hunting dog and that's kind of what the podcast is about yeah exactly so yeah i hope people enjoyed it kind of a different little pace one of our navda specific episodes which you know a lot of people love and a, a lot of people you know say hey i wish you'd uh cover other stuff outside of navda but i think it's been a minute since we've done a navda specific has, episode yeah. yeah uh i may be wrong on that but nothing's coming to mind right now but yeah <laughs> so uh hope you guys enjoy and uh we have a lot of good plans coming up i know uh me and you're talking uh about it we you know we did the puppy series a little while back mm-hmm. i got a couple other different series kind of is right there on the the verge of of recording and setting out to where i've been kind of gathering guests so uh there's a couple good topics and series coming our way so uh stay tuned and and be on the lookout for that awesome well nick i got the review this week again we're at 270 reviews that's awesome when i started doing this <laughs> reading the reviews we were below 250 so it's working <laughs> yeah. this is the part of the podcast where we make ourselves feel feel better about what we're doing <laughs> when i'm editing the podcast this is what makes it worthwhile yeah yeah especially this one this one's great uh the title is nick and joe's most excellent show righteous uh, and this is actually this one's probably gonna be an easy one this is gonna be a claude ninja <laughs> claude ninja claude ninja i don't there's no way that i could mispronounce uh this name this week he he uh, he or she uh, claude could be either or uh, says, guys, I listen to your show a lot as a first-time dog owner and pointing breed, Vishla. I'm not going to hold that against them. Uh, <laughs> at that, I'm glad to have found about uh, ha- have found your podcast. I waited a little over a year for our pup. Well worth it. And that time I listened to your podcast and it helped me picture what may happen for us. My dog will not be a strictly hunting dog. It will also be a family member. Your show has been valuable resource. Keep up the good work. Thank you for the review. Oh, and they put the thumbs up sign, which, you know, they might get two stickers for that. Nice. So Bill and Ted, uh, fan right there. Uh, for Nick, sure. Nick and Joe's most excellent podcast. I mean, who, we should probably throw GDIY out the window and just <laughs> call it Nick and Joe's most excellent show. <laughs> nah, man, we, uh, we'll stick with GDIY. We would lose some listeners. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Nick and Joe, eh, doesn't have the same ring. But well, yeah, no, we really appreciate that. That does mean a lot, uh, a lot to us, and, and kind of why we started this is kind of put information out there to the average Joe, and and especially uh, you mentioned a second ago, lower that barrier for entry. Yep. And uh, if you get something out of it, great. And you know, we're all kind of in the same boat. I feel like nowadays, where our dogs are companions first, hunting dogs second. You know, with that comes a lot of different elements that uh, maybe you don't get by you know, going to certain clinics or reading yep. certain books, you, you know, it's, we all live the lifestyle 24 seven and it's just not always out in the field. If that makes sense. Yeah. Was that your tip of the week? <laughs> no, <laughs> we could make it a tip of the week though. Uh, you know, this is, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with this. Well, th- this didn't come from a listener because this just happened last night. We were talking about it. You, you walked in here and you're like, you know, I have a certain amount of, t- uh, displays here mm-hmm. throughout yeah. the years and travels and uh, tail fans and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a little basket and apparently it was a little too low. Uh, the dogs could reach it and it, and it had a you know a couple uh, pheasant tails and wings and and uh, sharp tail wings and so on and so forth. Uh, and it's been there. I haven't thought about it since we moved here. I've been meaning like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to do a cool display on the wall, but I haven't thought about it since we moved here. Right? Well. With my dogs, I've never had to worry about it. At the old house, it was in it was in reach of them and everything. Mm-hmm. But here lately, with the kid and everything, I realized, you know, we've been we've had them outside a lot more in their free run outside, yeah, yeah, in their dog yard, in, yeah, yeah, in their dog yard and their fenced in area. So normally, they're more involved in a day to day. There's more structure, whereas. Here recently, we've just had them out in the dog run, and they've been able to free roam a little bit and just kind of mm-hmm. – there's no structure whatsoever, no impulse control. If they wanted to bark, they could bark. If they wanted to dig, they could dig. And it directly – I've me and Pam have talked about it over the past week. Like, man, Rachel especially is getting a little – getting a little worse and it's not like you know the the type of dog like they're still getting run they're still getting Mm -hmm. work so it's not a matter of like you're not giving them the attention it's just they're getting used to 
throughout the day being able to do what they want when they want. And then yeah. you bring them in the house. And last night I come in here and Rachel comes down the stairs with some feathers hanging out of her mouth. I'm like, oh, no, you did not. And the first thing I thought of was like one of the important, like big time mounts yeah, that I got. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's going to cause a penny. And I came up here and she had just gotten in that basket and it still pissed me off because it's not like I just go to North Dakota and get another pheasant to, mm -hmm. to get the uh, tail fan. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, this is gun dog it yourself, and I'll, and I'll, the way a lot of people learn from this is by other people's mistakes. And so, it's one of those like, yeah, I got mad, but is it going to do me any good to get mad at the dog? Number one, I'm the idiot that had the basket low enough for them to reach, right? But I got to thinking afterwards. After I'm pissed off, I'm like, why am I pissed off? I left it down there. But I've, why have I never had to worry about that with them before? What's changed? Well, in the past month or two since the baby came and we've been so busy inside mm -hmm. the house, they've gone outside. And it's that impulse control that we've been talking about for months now. It's just once they get in the habit of being able to do what they want when they want, mm -hmm. there's a reason why the crate is such a good idea. Yeah, There's a reason why... Instead of letting them sit outside, just out of sight, out of mind, bring them in. Do a place command in the corner. Put them on the bed. You know, get them used to the structure. Because this is Rachel's seven, eight years old, something like that. Never had this issue with her before. But then again, she's never had this much free time unsupervised out in the yard around the clock. So it, it even happens to the dogs that know better. She knew better oh, as yeah. soon as she came down yeah. and saw me. But, you know, instead of getting mad, ask yourself, what has changed that has caused the dog to happen? You know, yeah. what what caused this dog to happen or do that? Not, it, I don't know. It just got me thinking. So tip of the week, don't put, you know, don't just let your dog unsupervised out in the run. Yes, it's going to survive. It's going to be fine. You can go hunt with it. But if you're going to live with the dog inside the house, understand that you'd still need to keep it involved in your everyday life. Keep the structure. and you know, focus in on a little, it, it is a lot easier to go throw them outside, but maybe it, it's not the easiest thing. Isn't always the right thing to do. Yeah. No, I went right. When you mentioned that, I, I said my, my Australian shepherd, you know, goes out. She, she, we, we leave the back door open as far as like a storm door. Yeah. So she can just hit it and she lets herself out <laughs> and then she can actually open it up with her mouth and let herself in. And she is probably the worst about just getting into stuff. Well, um, what what did she do today when you brought her out here? Oh, she, you put her in the dog run, and she got a running start and just head butted the gate until it opened, and then it swung open and she ran off. And so. she, she ran out. Yeah. yeah. So I think, especially when we're talking about and hunting dogs are these like higher IQ dogs mm -hmm. that they need that structure and they need they kind of like they this, crave it. Yeah, they they need something that kind of you know if, if not if they're just le left to their own devices, they're well the dog's not bored. Yeah. Okay, so it's just like, you know, the Rachel wasn't bored. I ran her with the four-wheeler. We mm -hmm. rode it a little bit yesterday. You know, we've been doing training sessions, place board and retrieving drills all week. Yep. I even have some live ducks over there. We've been working in some uh, some duck searches again here on the property. Like, she is, she's not doing it out of boredom. Yep. She's not doing it out of lack of energy burned. She's not doing it because she's hungry. You know, she didn't come up here to eat the feathers because mm -hmm. she's hungry. It was literally like just because she could. Yep. And so, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, it, the, it's funny. The people that are listening to us for the very first time right now, they're like, what are up with these people talking about French toast and, <laughs> yeah. and ugly dog whiskey and dogs eating tail fans. But no, this is, this is the real thing that you're probably, you don't hear on, a lot on other podcasts because yep. it's like, who wants to talk about their dog eating their, their trophies, right? Yeah. But it happens. It's part of it. Learn from it. I'm going to, you know, I'm incorporating back in there. You know, they never even fully went outside. They've been inside with us, but just not as structured as what they've been used to for years now. Totally. And it's just like that, that, that leash, that, that rope has just gotten longer and longer with them over the past couple months. And it bit me in the ass last night. <laughs> Great tip of the week. Yep. Well, I know this, this uh, intro was a little longer. Uh, but we did have a shorter episode this week, so uh, don't think that you guys are going to have to, you know, this this is still going to be, what, around an hour episode. So, yeah. Uh, so do you got anything else? Nah, man. Well, no, normal stuff as always, the housekeeping stuff, neither one of us ever want to talk about. We never want to talk about it, but please, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, go on there, share uh, when we're posting stuff. Uh, Nick, you do a great job of posting every 
Tuesday um, when the episode comes out. Throw a share on that on, on your profile. So uh, if you got friends who you think would like uh, to listen to the podcast, um, it goes a long way. Leave a review. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get to a point where I'll stop reading reviews if we get to like a certain <laughs> amount. We'll, we'll, that's how we'll see if people like me reading reviews. If they're if when we just we get hit, a flood. When we hit 500 reviews, Joe will stop reading a <laughs> review a week. Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, awesome. And then, uh, man, support our sponsors. Again, um, just like at the top of the podcast, uh, the stuff that we're doing um, is also because of our sponsors like Ugly Dog and Dakota 283. Um, you can do You know, they are, um, you know, both they, they, they fuel our dogs and they fuel our uh, passion, passion and alcohol, Hobbies, whatever you <laughs> consumption. <want> to <laughs> uh, but they also do do uh, it goes a long way in, in helping us make the podcast better, get a, a couple more um, things of gear, and then hopefully in the future um, provide a, a couple other different types of entertainment for you guys too. So yeah. uh, it goes a long way. So support the people who support us. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, hope you guys enjoy. We'll check back next week and everybody get out there, run those dogs. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another ugly dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, we're back to welcome Pete Aplikowski back on the podcast. Pete, it's been a while. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Oh, living the dream as always. I appreciate you making time with us as always. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of hit me up with another topic the other day that I thought would be a fun, fun thing to touch on and, uh, really kind of a good time of the year to touch on as people kind of develop their goals and, and training plans for, for the rest of the year. It's, it's kind of important to, uh, keep people's goals in line and, but also realistic for, for the individual handler and dog. So do you want to kind of break down what you were wanting to talk about tonight? Yeah. So, you know, I harp on people all winter time about, Hey, if you're going to utility test or you want to take it to the next level after natural ability or your first hunting season or whatever to, you got to get this retrieving in order. Right. And everybody's, Oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And you know, I'm just as guilty as anybody when I try to force fish my first dog, I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> and then, you know, you go to test day and they're like, yeah, did you force fetch your dog, Pete? Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, you didn't. You know, so <laughs> give her <laughs> another the hard way and your failures. Uh, sometimes it takes people uh, failing to understand. I know it did for me. Um, and then as I became a, a judge and a, first an apprentice judge and then a judge, and then now being really involved in our large chapter, really getting exposed and working with a lot of dogs I see all the same people struggling with the same things, especially yep. with their first dog, you know, 
And sure enough, I was out training actually yesterday on it with a guy who I hunted with last year and he's got a couple of nice dogs and he's like, yeah, I want to do that utility or utility prep in the spring. I'm like, okay, man, but you got to get your retrieving down this winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I've told you this before, you know, my first litmus test when we were going to do utility work with people is I, I walk a duck out at 30 yards and make the dog watch me do it. And real simple retrieving drill. I say, okay, send your dog for the duck. If the duck doesn't come back, we're done. You know, there's, <laughs> we can't we can't go out on the duck pond. And sure enough, that happened yesterday. He yeah. he, he thought his dogs would be fine with ducks, and it turns out he his dogs are mildly okay retrievers on upland game birds and stuff. That's what he hunts, but had never had a duck in their mouth. Yep, and it was a fail. So, well, and I want I want to ask you a question. So, uh, throughout the years, have you kind of seen that this is primarily d- happening with with first timers maybe they haven't utility tested before or done the prep test so maybe they don't know and they kind of need to just kind of trial by fire jump in and test it out or are you seeing a lot of repeat people that maybe just didn't get the message on the first dog or two no i think it's first time people that are primarily upland hunters maybe they don't do a lot of waterfall hunting and then mm-hmm. they decide that well i joined this nav the chapter and i know you know they they get sucked into this hey we, you got to do the utility or utility prep test yeah, but they're really not waterfall hunters, and then they get forced kind of into this path with the ducks. And for some people, that ain't their thing, you know. They don't yeah. duck hunt, so why would I do any of this? But they get excited about NAVDA and they they want to do this utility stuff, but they don't really understand, you know, the importance of having a well-rounded retriever on all species of game. You know, it's both you know the upland stuff and the waterfall stuff. So yeah, I think that's what I see. And then people, some people they. They don't, they just say, okay, well, I don't really need to do that. So I guess I'm not going to utility test. And then some people do get the message and then they're okay. In fact, I got a video from the guy I was with yesterday. I gave him a bunch of ducks to take home and he actually made a lot of progress in a day just doing hold and carry stuff with ducks, with those dogs. He sent me some videos today that I don't know, maybe next time we're out, we can actually put those dogs out on the duck pond and make sure that if they do find something, they're going to bring it back, you know? Yeah. Well, let's just, you know, it, it's going to pop in, pop out, I guess, uh, throughout this episode at some point. You know, I've, I've said it on the podcast before. What do you generally say? Because we're talking about the, the importance of the utility prep test and, and really why that may be the highest level of testing that some people really should do. Or, I mean, you know, that, that's yeah, the type and, of dog. And that's that kind of when I pinged, pinged you the other day. I was, I bet some of the, my chapter training stuff and, and I'm like, you know what, I, you know, a lot of these podcasts, your podcast, other podcasts, and people get so wrapped up in this utility prize one and going to the invitational and that's mm-hmm. kind of, and the pro trainers and stuff. And I get it. And that's great. Or the real experience to have to people. I mean, I'm, I'm finally got a utility prize one after seven tries, right. There with three go. different dogs. And I'm going to go to the invitational next year for better or for worse. But, um, for most people, that's not a realistic goal. And we have a chapter, you know, the Minnesota chapter, we have, we bounce between 250 and 300 plus members, depending on what time of year it is. And it's just not a realistic goal for all of our people to be chasing that utility prize one. Um, we live in a state with a lot of wild birds and a lot of people just want a hunting dog. Yeah. Um, and, and this utility prep test, if you look at the minimum standards of what it takes to pass that test, even to a prize three level, and we're going to get into that tonight. That that might be what a lot of people should shoot for, and that might yeah. be good enough for a lot of people, you know. And that, that's what I was about to just say is, you know, you're using the term realistic for the people, and it's just like we're not talking about realistic as in terms of what your dog is capable of or what you're capable of, but maybe your personality and your goals are more aligned with just – you know, having the the good hunting dog, right? You don't have to go get the utility prize one and go to the invitational just because that's what everybody else does or says that you should do. Maybe, you know, what what your goals and your passions, it lines up better with just, you know, doing the UT, uh, utility prep t- test or just a utility test, you know? Yeah, either one. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. There's, there's, if you look at the scorecards, and I, I do believe in the scorecard. If you in understanding the scorecards yeah. on this stuff, I think it actually helps you out with your training program. Mm-hmm. If you understand what, where is the emphasis NAVDA places on these tests? What's important to, for NAVDA principles of 
producing and recovering game, both on land and water. That's the versatile thing, right? Land and water. And that's why I'm a NAVDA person. I I don't do AKC stuff. I don't do the German stuff. I don't do field trial. I don't know anything about any of that stuff. NAVDA principles is what I got sucked into and involved in. That's what, for me and my hunting dogs, that's that's what gives me the measure of what my dogs are, you know, capable of and, um, and, and gives me what I need in a hunting dog. So, um, but, but the water is an important part of that. And some people never do the waterfowl thing. And and I think they might be chasing their tail a little bit by forcing these, some of these dogs to do this water stuff, you know, especially Um, if you're not a waterfowl hunter, you know, that's, that's really ultimately what we're talking about is staying in line with your goals and and what you really want out of your dog. And if you're not a waterfowl hunter, you know, you got to ask yourself, is it really worth the time and effort to train duck search and, and some of this water stuff if you're never going to use it, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, uh, well, up here in the Minnesota area, you know, there's a lot of water everywhere. So even upland hunting, right. there's a lot of times where yeah. retrieving a bird out of water comes into play. Um, but that's a little different than the duck search thing. That's more of a, just a simple retrieving situation. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing, I I did some duck search clinics here for our chapter the last week and I kind of started thinking of the realization that, you know, maybe certain dogs, uh, breed, certain breeds maybe, aren't suited for this duck search thing. Uh-oh. It's just gen- genetically not their cup of tea, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, yeah. Now, and people try, to, now you, people try to force <laughs> it and force it and force it, and, and then they cause other problems, yeah. you know? And you have you have 100 people sitting there like, oh, what breed is he talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to no, go there. No. but <laughs> So, let, again, so let's go ahead and, and because I've said it on the podcast before, I want you to, to – Give me your spiel on the importance of the utility prep test because I've said it before. I'm of the opinion, and this is just my opinion. I know that you're pro- you're different, and everybody else has a different opinion. But I've said in the past that it, 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 if you're going to prepare for the utility prep, just prepare and do the utility test because to me, there's not that big of a jump if you compare the you know the tasks that that are there. What would you say to somebody like me who says that to where it's like you know? It, let's just go to utility instead of doing the utility prep. What What is the importance of the prep test? Okay, well, let's let's get this out of the way first. So um, I am uh, uh, I'm the president of the Minnesota chapter now. I've been for two, going on two years now. Been involved with the chapter for the last seven eight years pretty heavily as a volunteer and board member. Became a judge a couple of years ago. Um, uh, learned a lot. Uh, becoming an apprentice judge and a, and a judge and watching a lot of dogs it really, it really makes you realize some things when you when you look at a lot of dogs and a lot of different breeds and different testing situations, different grounds and all that stuff. Um, but that said, I'm not speaking on behalf of NAVDA. Uh, these are my personal opinions. We've got to get that yep. out of the way, right? Uh, the other thing I want to say is we're going to get a little bit into scorecards and some scoring type stuff tonight. Um very general. Um, I don't want this to think like this is anything related or in depth of like a, an aims and rules clinic with a qualified clinic leader. Um, if you really want to get down in the weeds on scorecards and how dogs are judged, you should go to an aims and rules clinic and go to the NAVDA website and look for that. Um, the other thing I'll say is on NAVDA test day, a dog score is a consensus score of three different judges and what everybody saw and observed. Um, so these are kind of my opinions and what I might be looking for on a given day when we start talking about a utility prep dog. So uh, that said, get back to your question about why I think the UPT test is important. Um, I think it's it's really good for young dogs and first-time handlers. And by young, I mean like that one-and-a-half to two- or two-and-a-half-year-old dog that's probably post-NA test uh, after their first hunting season, or hopefully they've had a lot of wild ex- bird exposure and not just been fed a lot of pen-raised, you know, planted bird field stuff, which, you know, we've talked about that before and how how fake of a situation I think that is. And (laughs) too much of that isn't good either. Um, uh, But, you know, we get a lot of people in our chapter, especially that, you know, their breeder tells them to join NAVDA, wants them to run their NA test, and they join and and they get what they need to get through the NA test, and then they go on their merry way. We never see them again. And that's fine. That's always going to happen. But then there's a lot of people like, they like the people, they, they like the camaraderie that NAMDA is, and they're like, okay, I did my NA, now what? Yep. And then that's where that gap is, where they're being fed this line about, well, you got to train for utility, you got to do a force fetch, you got to do steady to wing shot and fall, and, and then, you know, not even mentioning the invitational, but they get pushed down this path. But there's a huge middle ground there of post-NA 
and what's a truly finished, versatile hunting dog, right, by NAV standards. For most people that are just average hunters, that middle ground is really all they need. Yeah. And one of my role, one of my goals when I took when I became president of the chapter was we're so big, we have to kind of manage and almost use I, I don't like to use it, but for better for lack of a better word, triage. Like <laughs> yeah. we have to sort people into groups yeah. and figure out, you know, how can we help the people achieve these goals and then how can we also help the people that want to do the really advanced stuff? And we're kind of doing that, but that that group of the casual hunter is probably the biggest group. Yeah. Um and and this utility prep test, whether you actually run the test or not, if you understand the scorecard and the NAVDA principles about why a utility prep test UPT price three standard might be something to strive for, you'd understand that that's a very serviceable hunting dog. Okay. And in a nutshell, um, I'm just going to get back to a little blog post I wrote for our chapter this winter to try to help people understand this. Um there's four main things that if you'd just really think about the basics that would help you understand why that might be a good level. And, uh, it is this, it's, uh, a dog that would do a productive field search point birds for the handler, be consistently steady to flush that. The, so the handler can flush the game in range of the gunners, or if you're in a hunting situation in range of you, the handler, right? Uh, retrieve all game it's set out for, or maybe that it breaks for on its own if it's not steady, on land and water, bring it back to within reasonable reach of the handler, no matter how efficiently it does it. It takes a zillion whistle commands or hand signals or, you know, come commands or whatever. It doesn't matter. Game recovery is a key nav to principle. As long as that job gets done and that game comes back, that's considered acceptable. And if you look at the scorecard, you can pass even the nav to utility test with a one in all the retrieving deals, right? Yep. That just means the game came back. It didn't get left out there. That's a huge thing, right? Um, and then th- this duck search thing or search for duck, it's called in the Ames book. You know, that is, that is a task that we do expect these dogs to do even at the utility prep level. At the prep level, they, the dogs get a little bit more of slack as far as how far they're going to go out. Um, maybe how long they'd have to search to get a four or a passing score of a two. Um, but in general, do a several-minute water search for a, for a duck you didn't see fall within a reasonable shotgun range, you know, so 40, 50 yards, right? Uh, and a retrieve is not required in that unless the dog locates the duck. And in the UPT test, it's a dead duck. If they if they come across it, they got to pick it up and bring it back. Um, but think about from a hunting situation. If you got a dog that you could send out on a pond and it's going to search within a 40 or 50-yard radius, you know, within likely shotgun range, I mean, that's, that's a serviceable hunting yeah. dog. Um, and then the last part is steadiness around the blind. The fourth component here is you know, just have decent manners on the way to and around the duck blind. Um, you know, can a dog walk on a leash without, you know, causing too much of raucous? Can you get down to a duck blind or a, or a jump shooting situation on a, if you're, you know, trying to sneak up on a pond? Will the dog do that within reason and be at least reasonably steady till the gun goes off, yeah. right? Um, I mean, that's what most people I think would consider a serviceable hunting dog, not a truly finished hunting dog. It's the utility prize one standards, but, um, you know, that in a nutshell, you can pass the UPT test with those four components right there. And the biggest, the biggest difference on the UPT test from the utility test is in the steadiness in the field steadiness. Okay. Steady to flush, steady to wing, steady to shot and fall. Right. You can get a four or the highest score in UPT test if the dog is just steady until the gun goes off. So steady to flush, steady to wing, right? Once the gun goes off, they can break and get a four. But if you back it down to what's the minimum required to pass, you need a one, right? Well, what's a one? To me, that just means a dog that's going to find game, point game, and let you get close enough to be within gun range to when the gun to when the bird flushes or on test date for the gunners to shoot it because obviously the handler's not doing the shooting on test yeah. date. So basically a dog that's not a takeout artist, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and and going on point and taking out birds before you get yeah. there. If you can just get to there in the field, you can pass the UPT test. Um in general. Obviously in the whole 25 minute field search, the judging team is going to take into consensus everything they saw. But in general, if you have a dog that'll point and wait for you long enough so the gunners can shoot it, you're going to pass. Yeah. And like you said, you know, all those, 
you pretty much summed it all up to where the average person getting into this to where how many times have you heard a, a new person show up to a training day and you start talking to them about what they want out of a dog and they're just like i just want a hunting dog you know i'm it, i'm maybe i'll test one day but i just want a hunting dog you know this this really like you said this kind of gives them a direction or or yeah, just a direction in their training during the off season to give them the serviceable hunting dog. Even if you're an upland hunter, like you said, sometimes you shoot birds and it goes down in the water. Heck, my first wild pheasant I shot was in North Dakota and it was, ended up being a water retrieve. I shot it and it was in a pond. We had to go, you know, get a dog to go do a water retrieve. So it happens all the time. But then also if you're out upland hunting, you come across some ducks and you want to jump shoot them, you have that capability. And that's what all this is all about. And like you said, you doing it to just the utility prep test, you're going to get the experience of training the dog to a certain level. It's going to kind of get your feet wet to see if you want to go onto the utility level. But even if not, you have that serviceable hunting dog. And I think there's kind of a disconnect right now to where a lot of people get involved in this and they think that they're getting that out of the NA level dog, right? Like you said, a lot of people do NA and then you don't ever see them again. Let's talk talk to that point a little bit. You know, why why wouldn't somebody just stop at the NA level if all they wanted was a hunting dog? If the NA level, you know, test says, "Hey, you have all the traits naturally in this dog's genetics. Go hunt that dog." You know, what Where's that disconnect right now with the average new person coming into NAVDA? Well, I think in, it can depend a lot of how old the dog is when it runs that NA test. Um, I, I do believe, and our chapter is, is a little bit guilty of this just because we're so big and and people overtrain for the NA test. Yeah. Um, and, the NA, and they start working on some steadiness and, and wool training and, and trying to get that dog to be steady to flush, which is not required on the NA test yeah. at all. But I think people have a misconception about that. And there's also people who really they're doing the NA test as a favor to their breeder. And they're not really doing it for them or the dog. And, and they're, they got, they got October on the calendar on their mind. And, and if they know that, okay, the dog was born, you know, say in September of one year, and it's going to be a year old the following September, which is when they're running their NA test, you know, you now you got a one year old dog heading into its real first hunting season. Well, they, they want to have a productive hunting season, so they might be working on some obedience and, and woe training and stuff. And that's fine. You're, you know, people are going to do what they want to, they're going to do. Um, if you're truly looking at it from a nationality testing standpoint, I wish people wouldn't do that. I wish they'd run that NA test either at a younger age if they can get in a test yeah. and the dog's ready for it and, and get that out of the way and then do the, the other stuff. Um, but, you know, it's in the real world, it's just not practical. Yeah. Not everybody's going to do that. And and some and even some of the pro trainers, they they'll tell me, look, I'm not holding up the dog's training just for a stupid NA yeah. test. You know, if the dog's capable of it, and the dog's ready, working on steady to flush, steady to wing, and force fetch and retrieving, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And if it so happens that that's before that dog's NA test, that's what I'm doing. Um, now, as judges at the NA test, we judge what we see. We don't fault the dog. That's we obviously been trained, you know, and stuff like that. We judge what we see, and, mm-hmm. and it's a thing, and it's okay. You know, like I said, there's no perfect one way to do it everybody's going to do it their own way oh yeah no um but did that answer your question i don't know i might have got off track yeah i mean you know it's it's really kind of a vague question more so in line with just as you go to these training days you kind of come across the new new handlers and new owners that they they do the na test and then they disappear you don't ever see them again and it it falls into kind of what you're you're talking about is they're doing it as a favor to their breeder but also it's like i it, the NA test, it's like people think that the NA test, if you're brand new to it, they kind of take that as that's my finished dog test. And it's, it's, re- and yeah. it's really more of an assessment. I like, it's kind of a stickler for me. I wish it would be the NA assessment, not the NA test, but that's just me. Uh, you know, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing I really try to harp on people about is that obedience is not judged in an NA test, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're going to work on any obedience with a dog before it's NA, work on a recall. Yeah. That's one thing that can really help you in an NA test, if you, especially if you've got a dog that's going to start chasing and taking off on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other than that, I mean, just let the, you know, it's all, it's really 90% dog, <laughs> you know, on NA test day and, and how connected it might be to you as a handler and the bond you've built up is a little bit part yep. of that. But, um, yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it's, it just, like I said, you know, 
not everybody's into the whole NAVDA thing for for testing. Yeah. They're, they're they're exposed to it and part of it because you know they were told that you need to do this yeah. and they don't have a full understanding of why we're doing natural ability, what natural ability really yeah. is. Well, let's let's get back into the utility level and uh, quit giving our opinions on the NA test, right? That's not what we're here to talk about. But uh, so, uh, how do you advise somebody? You already said that the the NA or the UT prep is more for first time owners, young dogs. When we start, when we try and advise people and help them when and where we can on training their dogs and taking the next step from the NA level, we we start talking to them about training concepts, right? You know, maybe after the NA, you go into force fetch, which then goes into duck search, which then goes into steadiness. You know, that's kind of a general roadmap for the majority of people out there. And that's where I kind of think I have the disconnect with the prep test on my end is it's, you know, like you said – the prep test doesn't grade duck search or steadiness in terms of the utility test. So it's just like the way I look at it is if you're training the concept and we all, we've talked about on previous episodes with me and you talking about the end goal in mind, why would we, you know, necessarily stop the concept on say duck search or steadiness to go do the prep test and then go to utility test. Does that make sense? No, but I would. I think the one of the points I'm trying to make is is for the average person, whether they do the UPT test or not, understanding the UP test minimum standards to pass is what's considered a, a serviceable hunting yeah. dog. You could be whether you do the test or not. If you understand and train to those standards, like be a half-ass retriever, <laughs> find in point game, yep. have reasonable manners. If I'm going to go jump shoot some ducks, yep. right? Um, the duck search thing, you know, a lot of that's on the, the duck search thing is probably the mis, most misunderstood thing it in NASA, I think. Um, you know, I had these dogs at my clinic this, this couple of weeks ago. You could obviously tell which dogs had had a million bumpers thrown on the water floor yeah. because as soon as they went out there, they were hunting with their eyes. They would try to grab every little pad or every little stick on the water and pick it up and bring it back to the handler. They weren't using their nose at all. And we had to really break them in that, yeah. right? And you and I have talked about this before, too. It's like for most people, if they're duck hunting and there's a duck down, they're going to do whatever it takes to help their dog visually with commands and hand signals and all this stuff to help them go out and find and, re- and recover throwing that duck. rocks, right? throwing shotgun shells, Throw, whatever. whatever. <laughs> you know, and, I, and on a utility test, if you have to do that, I mean, obviously, you can maybe save yourself and get to a passing score. But you're not going to get a prize yeah. one, right? The dog has to go out there independently and use its nose and its brain to solve this task of finding and recovering that game. And that's, I think, what's a hard thing for people to understand, especially if they came from maybe the retrieval world where those dogs are bred to use their eyes, you know, to go recover stuff, whether it's on land and water. And that's the way that whole testing system is set yeah. up. Um, but anyway, that's we always try to get into the duck search stuff when we <laughs> get sucked into that topic when we're trying to talk about always. other things. Well, like you said, it's 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 the most misunderstood thing. And, and to sum it up, is like you just kind of – I've gotten to where I just tell everybody, I'm like, look, go to a chapter, find a dog that consistently does fours or really find a dog that consistently does eights and just go out there and watch them. And it's like once you see a dog that really does it, and then you see what you've been watching before, it, it, it starts to click and you really see the practicality. Of yeah. It. The, the first time I saw one of these versus really tear up a duck pond, it blew my mind. I'm <laughs> like, you, these dogs are capable of so much more than yes. you think. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, back to the UPT thing a little bit. Um, I think, for most people, the, the in our chapter especially, we we have it, with our, the number of members we have, and the number of when we do more testing days than any chapter in NAVDA, right? We do sixteen days and I don't know hundred and to hundred to two hundred testing slots, de- depending how it breaks down between NA and UPT or utility. Uh, we even then we can't. Not everybody's going to get a testing slot, right? And and if that's not your thing, that's fine. But if you if you break down the utility prep scorecard and understand the NAVDA principles behind it and what's considered a passing dog or even, you know, a prize three UPT dog for all the, those four components that I mentioned, you know, find game, produce game, help me as a handler shoot that game for us as a team and recover that game. Yeah. That's a hunting dog. Yeah. What else do you need? I mean, uh, 
That's yeah. right. For most people. Yeah. For most people that that's really it. And, and it, and it really goes back to, if you are that person coming into it is that maybe I don't, you're, you're the type that like, okay, I don't want to go to the invitational. I just want a serviceable hunting dog. But you're asking yourself, what does that look like? How do I train for it? Just training, like you said, just training and understanding the concepts within the within the next level of testing past NA will get you there. You know, you, you won't have that invitational dog. You may not have the obedience up to par, but you know what? You'll have your hunting dog. And if that's in line with your goals, that's all you need. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get turned off. I know for a fact is so when I we I had a guy come in and do a force fetch clinic for our chapter two years ago, and and just even 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 in our in our using the word force freaks yeah. people out, right? I mean, so I can call it conditioned retrieve, trained retrieve, for whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. Um, I would argue that for UPT level and and most handlers for a hunting dog. You could get away with just doing hold and carry type tra- retrieve training, yeah. especially if you're going to use real birds. Make sure the dog, like for that friend of mine I talked about at the beginning of this talk here, like his dog had never really worked on ducks. Yeah. Well, he made tremendous progress in a day just because he worked yeah. on that. It, you know, and that dog, those dogs won't be prized one level, you know, retrievers of ducks probably, but he's going to run UPT this year. And just what I saw today from yesterday to today, he worked on hold and carry for a couple hours. Probably good yeah, enough. Yeah. Right? Th- these dogs are smart. They're going to figure it out. If you spend the time and do, do some reps with it, it doesn't have to be a perfect training schedule. This is doing your, doing work with your dog out in the field. And, and more than likely, if it has the genetics, you're going to have a uh, utility prep dog. You're going to have that hunting dog. Uh, what's your take on, the the drag though you know would you say the force fetch maybe is is the drag any different on the prep test as it is the utility test uh it's shorter shorter okay is it still yeah, out of sight um, yeah it's out of sight but not not as far so if you get some of these dogs that are kind of worried about being away from the handler too far you yeah. know it, it can help some of those dogs the biggest thing on any of their utility prep retrieves, though, is you get a lot of leeway, not so much at the end where the dog picks up the bird, but on the way back, as far as, you know, utility level to get a high score, you got to have that delivered a hand with a minimal commands, right? Yeah. Utility prep test, when the dog gets within reach of the handler, which is if you want to think about a hula hoop or a, a one step away kind yeah. of thing, um, if the dog spits out the bird within reach of the handler, you can still get a high okay. score. Or on the utility test, you can't, or you're, you're going to get dinged for gotcha. that. So, and if you think about real world hunting, I mean, a lot of dogs, if they, if they bring a bird back and spit it out within, you know, the average hunter is going to be ecstatic about that. pretty happy yeah, with that, right? Got my bird. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I know a lot of people, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about the steady to flush stuff and steadiness training a little bit, like some people's expectations of a serviceable hunting retriever are go find the bird and lay yeah, on it. Yeah. So I can find yep. it. That's right? called hunting dead. Because <laughs> they just hunt dead. Yeah, you know. So I mean, for some people, that's their that's their level of expectation of retrieve. Yep. Um, that's even unfortunately on the utility prep test. That's not going to cut. Right. Um, it has to come back within reach of the gotcha. handler. But, but you can get there with very very simple retrieve training and not a lot of pressure. Yeah. I think you know we, we talked a lot about the hold and carries being. I think for the way I like to train retrieve and what I've learned is the hold and carry is 90% of your retrieve training. Yeah. That force part is the smallest part of it, it is. you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious though, as, as you've been as a chapter kind of pushing the prep test and people getting people going into that next level, have you seen more people sticking around after the NA test that maybe they do the prep test and then move on to the utility test, or maybe they just get more involved and, and, you know, maybe they just, they end up getting another dog and then, you know, hunt more. Like, have you seen more involvement by b- pushing the, the prep test as a chapter? I, I do think so. I mean, I, um, we've as a chapter, I think if I didn't could verify this, I think, with, but I think we've probably run more utility prep dogs in our chapter than any other chapter, especially in the last few years since we've been pushing yeah. it. Um, I know when I was apprenticing and I did a lot of apprenticing here at our chapter because we're a large chapter, run a lot of tests. Um, when I got approved as a judge, I think I had 12 or 13 utility prep dogs on my resume as an apprentice, which is more than most judges in NAVDA, including a lot of senior judges that have been around a long time have ever judged, yeah. you know? So 
um, that I think is keeping people involved. And we're trying to get people to understand that if you just do a little bit more work, you're going to have a lot better hunting companion. And some of those people have gone out and, you know, realized that I didn't do the training I needed. I didn't do the retrieve training, but I'm going to stick with it. And some people are like, you know what, this is good enough for me. I didn't pass the test, but I still love my dog and we'll find and hunt birds together. And that's fine yeah. too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to your point in the years that I've been involved in this, I mean, I think I've been to one test where there's only been one prep test running and, and, and that was originally signed up as a utility test. And then it, you know, down, downgraded, downgraded. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it maybe is, you know, that is the best tool because, you know, you talk to all these chapters and you go to these training days, you get a lot of people in a testing because the breeder asked them to do it, but then they just, they vamp out. And like you said, there's always going to be that element to it, but maybe that is the stepping tool to keep people there to where it's not as giant of a leap to the utility test, but it still kind of gets you working with your dog and it gets that serviceable hunting dog to where they see the purpose of NAVDA. And it's not just testing, it's testing with, with objectives and concepts in mind. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, if you can give somebody a prize at the end of the day, if they're all a bundle of nerves and they've been there all day with their dog, and it, it, even if you can just say you got a prize three UPT, that's better than a for a first time handler. That's better than a utility fail. Yeah, right? I think. Yep. That's going to probably keep them even more interested in coming back and working at it than than having that that no prize. Yep. You know. So. So let's touch, you know, we, we, we talked about the, the type of dog that you're going to end up at the end of the, the prep test. What, when say I'm a new handler, I finished the prep test, what I'm going back. I'm like, all right, I'm hooked. I got, I got that prize three, even in a prep test or a prize two, whatever. I just prized. What do I work on to get to the utility level then? What's, what's the difference in those tests to where it's just like, you got me in hooked on the prep test. Let's move on to the utility test. What am I working on then? Well, you probably got to really make sure you got your duck search down. Yeah. Um, I'm a believer in the go before wool philosophy of make sure you got a dog that's going to go, you know, have that independence stuff before you put the brakes yeah. on. Um, you know, and some maybe, maybe that depending on what happened in a UPT test, maybe your dog did fine on that and that's not his issue. I would say the majority of people's issues are steadiness in the field. That steady to wing shot and fall yeah. stuff. And there's a big leap. You know, we talked about this in our steady to flush episode last fall. Um, some dogs are born steady to flush. You got, you're working with a lot of a dog's natural cooperation in that steady to flush concept, yeah. right? After that, once that bird is in the air and flushed, it's all obedience, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of dogs that might be really easy to get steady to flush. And then, but they, you know, now you got to work on the steady to steady to wing up till the shot pass that utility test you got to get a two in steadiness and if you think about the whole steadiness sequence steady to flush wing shot and fall there's four components there again the whole steadiness score is, a, is the whole 30 minutes and everything that happened and all the bird contacts but in general for utility test to get a two dog's going to have to generally be pretty steady until the gun goes yeah. off right and on utility prep it's just until the bird is in the air or until you flush the bird. So that, and for a lot of people, that's a big leap right there. Yeah. Right. So I would say those two things is duck search and then that field steadiness. And then you can still pass the utility test. If your dog brings back game and spits it out within reach of the yeah. handler, you know, you're still going to get probably that minimum score to pass on the retrieves of a one. Um, but obviously if you're looking for a higher score, um, you got to have that retrieving down that delivered a hand is really important, especially if you, you know, you want a, a high score, a prize one. Yeah, absolutely. And I always go back when people ask about the utility test and what to focus on. The, the way I, Norm, Norm Primo uh, kind of advised me when I fr was doing my first one. He was like, you know, essentially you break down the utility test. It's nothing but a big obedience test. It's an all day obedience test is the way he broke it down to me. And he was like, yeah, you know, you, you have the duck search, you have the steadiness, you know, there's individual qualities, but at the end of the day, when you break it all down, it's all obedience. And so, you know, put it in terms of that as you're training those concepts throughout the year. And, and that's, that's really what you're doing with the utility level dog. But like you said, the prep test, you know, obedience is important always, but that's, you know, maybe the average hunter doesn't need all that obedience, right? 
I would say another big thing I see with people is they get these dogs and they say, you know, they say join NAV to run your Nashville test. And I was just as guilty of this. Oh, you want to talk about obedience, obedience, obedience is an everyday, all day thing, right? Yeah. It's not a, I'm going to show up to my NAV to training day in April and May, and we're going to start working on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's, you know, when a pup's a pup, let them be a pup. And there's some basic, you know, household manners. And you you guys have covered this a bunch on your episodes yeah. about there's puppy obedience and what's expected to be, you know, I got to live with this dog. He has to do some things. But after that first year when the puppy's a puppy and after that NA test, now it's time to start working on real stuff, healing. Yeah. Wool training, you know, no, not cutting the dog any slack. Um. It, it's a it's a journey you go you sh- the the best the best handlers and the best dogs understand that and um it, and it it never obedience ends is an either. everyday thing yep it never ends because anybody that's been been around these dogs longer than two years they understand you can train this and you can have it down pat and these dogs just boom slam into a heel slam onto the place board whatever but if you go slack on it and and you ignore that yard work you you ignore that short grass work these dogs know what they can get away with and you know it us as handlers we can get kind of lazy and it's it's always a good reminder to get back out there i mean i was out there tonight doing some heel and place work and just retrieves and you could tell that, you know, dogs are kind of bored with it by the end of it. They're like, oh, we're beyond this. But it, you you have to do it. You have to stay on top of it because, like you said, you can't just show up to a training day and be like, man, we haven't worked on this in two months, but I expect you to still do it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the biggest message. When I, we, we, when I mentioned earlier, like I really harp on people all winter, get your retrieving down. When, when we start training in the spring, I don't want to be working on retrieving. You know, we got other stuff to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what else are we missing here, Pete? Is there anything else we need to touch on? I think we covered it, man. I, I, I would just touch, go back to the whole scorecard thing. And, we, you know, I didn't want to get way down in the weeds on it. I would encourage people that are interested in it to go to an Ames clinic. I'll put a little plug in for our chapter. We're actually, we got one coming up next month, a month from now, June 12th, 13th, up at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp in Reamer, Minnesota, northern Minnesota. It's a really cool venue. Um, and you can check out minnesotanavda.org, our website for that. We've still got room in that for anybody up yeah. in this part of the world. That's where foot, you're really going to get down into watching dogs and understanding how they're judged. Yeah. I think the foothills chapter in North Carolina has one too. So there's one up in Minnesota. There's one down here in the Southeast and, and I've heard rumblings of another one down here kind of in the, in the Southeast, uh, possibly getting announced here soon. So, uh, I, I don't think that's official or, or I think they're just trying, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're out these, there. These po- and-, the, and you know, these podcasts, like what you guys are doing, it's great to get information out there, but um, talking about this stuff is one thing, actually being in the field and watching dogs yeah, and with knowledgeable people and helping them explain what's going on and what you're seeing. That's when the light bulb will really start going off for you as a handler. It's impossible to do on the phone or in a podcast format like this. I mean, this is great, yeah. but yeah. It, it's, you know, you say a picture is worth a thousand words. You watch a dog in the field doing these events and understanding what's going on is when you're really going to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can listen to all the podcasts, watch all the YouTube videos, read all the books until you actually see it in person. Because I tell everybody, even if it's a system or a method or something that you don't even desire in a dog, you're still learning on what not to do with that dog. So you're learning, you you look at the dogs that you want and the handlers that you you know want to learn from you're learning how to do that but you're also learning from the people that maybe jack it up too and you're not going to get that out of a book or a podcast or anything like that so it is important to go to the the training days go to these other training camps go to aims and rules clinics you know just broaden your horizons get out of your little bubble and learn from other people learn as much from everybody that you can right i agree yeah well, Pete, I th- that was kind of short and quick and simple, but, you know, important to touch on. And, and hopefully, you know, it, it inspires people to admit that maybe fell off after the NA test or was kind of hesitant to get involved at all with an older dog, whatever. Just get in and and use the UT prep as kind of a guide to what do I need to train to have my dog ready for hunting season this, this fall. 
Yeah, that was the message I wanted to get across. I think we covered it. So Yeah, there we go. Well, I, I appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.